Fulhamish is back for the season by Labrooks. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fulhamish podcast. My name's Sammy James. We are your independent voice of Fulham FC. Well, first of all, it's nice to be back. It's been a, a couple of weeks away from the hot seat as we discuss Fulham's 2-0 defeat at Stamford Bridge today. It was a spirited performance from Fulham, but ultimately not enough to get anything from the game. Uh, here to discuss all things Chelsea with me, I've got Farrell Monk. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm still more tanned than you are, even though you've been away on holiday. Thank you very much. <laughs> Loving the compliments. Nathan Martin's here. Yeah, doing, doing okay. A little uh, sedated at the end of a longer day, I guess. Uh, and Lydia Campbell's here as well. Nice to have you back, Lydia. Yeah, it's good, it's good to be back, although at uh, defeat this time, so mm. I'm not, not sure how, how I feel about that. I think the last <laughs> time that you and Nathan did a podcast, you did it together. I don't, yep. I, I, I think yeah, so, yeah, we yeah. did. This we isn't, did. This isn't deliberate, but <laughs> like, you come in I, pairs. I like the versatility like. of accents we've got around the table <laughs> now. Right. You're like, oh, we need to bring some diversity. We have the Irish and the Americans <laughs> come exactly together. It. <laughs> it's been weeks and weeks and weeks of just English only. I'm like, damn, I need to tick some boxes. Here, so get in Nathan, get in Lydia. Um, so, yeah, loads to discuss today after an interesting game at Stamford Bridge as part of Sky Sports Derby Day. Um, and also, we'll be looking ahead to the Leicester game, which comes around thick and fast on Wednesdays. I've like been back in the Championship having to, to discuss games in such quick succession. Uh, we'll also answer some of your questions at the end of the show as well. Time to do some three-word reviews, though, first. Uh, and Farrell Monk is in charge of operations today. What are you saying? Uh, so there weren't actually a lot of um, three-word reviews today. Only about 50 or 60 of them really? come up on Twitter, which is quite interesting. Usually we get about four or 500 uh, after a loss. And, you know, one that's, you know, from a Derby point of view as well, you would think there would be 20 or 30,000. Yeah, come on, guys. We like your anger. Anger, anger. Maybe there just wasn't much anger because it was quite a good performance. Yeah, true, true. But uh, the best ones are Matt Arters with uh, at Hakuna Matata, which I quite like his Twitter handle. Chambers best attacker? Question mark. Uh, Richard Bambas, I'm always a good um, good fan of his. What a library! And then the and then in reference to the graffiti that did the rounds today is up the Fulham from Jamie Smith. Yes. So uh, myself. Jack and uh, Jack's brother had a photo outside of the up the Fulham graffiti, which was say, on Sammy, the Fulham Road. You've been you've been gone on a holiday for a couple of weeks. Like I'm really impressed that with the jet lag and everything, you had time to get out last night and do the graffiti before the game. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's really it's really a good effort. Like you're just kind of making up for lost time. Buy the spray paint, head I over. Know. I know. Well. <laughs> dedication to the cause uh, so thank you for your three word views do get involved after Leicester more of you involved after Leicester I'm a bit worried if the three word views are going so downhill so quickly uh, and just to say that this season Fulhamish is backed by Labrooks for exclusive specials and promotions head to bets.fulhamish.co.uk well let's look at the derby day today uh, the SW6 derby uh, the dangers of doing this podcast in my front living room <laughs> is the fact that this is my front living room and uh, Farrell has found my passport and uh, my hilarious passport photo which was taken when I was 18 I'll let you know how, it, how is that still valid you, that is sensational nothing like that anymore <laughs> I had a big flop of hair when I was 18 I will let you know emo James at, at, at the ready <laughs> 
I'm sure you will uh, pick up on uh, other possessions uh, throughout the podcast yeah. that will humiliate me immensely. <laughs> so uh, back to the studio next time, hopefully. Um, Nathan, I'll come to you first. It's a weird one. It was a 2 0 defeat. It all felt fairly routine. And whilst for me, I feel like there are positives out of today, I thought that Fulham played very well in spaces of the game. It seems to me a frequent thing that we're saying after games this season. Oh, Fulham were good today. I think if we played that against every week or we'd be we'd be there or thereabouts. But every time we seem to be playing quite well and not getting results. And ultimately, we're still bottom of the table, which doesn't leave me with that much room for optimism. Maybe you can put a different light on it. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking a little bit about with I watched the Southampton game yesterday where um, you know they went 2-0 up and um, United came back and drew. And you know, it's been a similar story with Southampton, like how many games have they thrown away from winning positions um, through the year? And it's a bit frustrating. Whereas Fulham, you know, today, yes, you know, we we made a mistake in Sarri made a poor pass early and led to the goal and was punished by Chelsea. It felt a bit different. So like, you know, I, we, we all did the city away day where we had a similar early goal that um, we had, we had punished, but today didn't feel quite as uh, doomed or quite as that we were out outmatched or out of our league. And so even though I, you know, watched the game today, it was one nil for most of the time. And I sat next to someone who's been going as a season ticket for 16 years and both of us sort of had a similar position, you know, about 65 minutes in, we said, look, this will either end up 1-1 or 2-0 and that's going to be it. And we're, we were both fine with it because we felt like, yes, we made one mistake, but our back line had looked a bit more solid. Malson, Malson and Adoy are sort of gelling a little bit. You know, I'm not sure if Adoy is really a great fit long term. Christie played pretty well. Lamarchon, you know, is doing his thing and Rico is fantastic. But, you know, Chelsea didn't run all over us. If you told me that a, a fit relatively healthy hazard would play 90 minutes and you know yes he, he would make some 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 good plays but he wouldn't absolutely destroy us if you told me that a few weeks ago when we watched teams like bournemouth when we watched city when we watched you know even even cardiff sorry uh you know run riot over us well. <laughs> then you know i would have told you you were joking so i yes it's 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 still frustrating that we can't keep a clean sheet that we can't string this all together but i think there's there's something and i think the leicester game you know if if we do the same thing against leicester then that will actually hit me probably a bit more so but i'm i'm willing to give ranieri and and the and the, and the squad a bit of grace right now lydia how frustrating is it that a lot of this game could have been avoided the situation we were in because despite actually quite a bright opening couple of minutes from Fulham ultimately it's a mistake again that's put us on the back foot and has led us into a situation that I didn't think we needed to be in between Adoy and Seri once again it's not the first time that combination has made a mistake that's led to a goal and already it's an uphill battle four or five minutes in yeah I, th I think it's really difficult if you're going to um shoot yourself in the foot the way we have repeatedly this season um you aren't you we're not doing ourselves any favors i mean there's no doubt today that that lineup and that our shape was much better than it has been but w if we don't eradicate the silly mistakes and the and the individual errors then that is that's what's going to get us relegated or not yeah, 100%. And, um, you know, we can have the best shape in the world, but still have an, an individual error. Errors happen, we, you know, 
that that's life. But, but so why do errors keep having to John McHale Seri? Well, I think one of the problems with um, Seri is that he is he has not adjusted to the pace of the Premier League at all. And I think um, he's undoubtedly a talented player. I mean, you can see um, maybe his little turns, things like that. But he, he wants so much time in the ball. And when you look at a comparison between him and Kearney, Kearney makes space for himself, whereas Siri makes problems for himself. It's you know they're they're two very talented players. One does the right thing and the right decisions, and one doesn't. It's not that he's a bad player, but he is consistently making poor mistakes, and it does not take an expert in football to see that a flat pass on your halfway line to your centre-back is going to get caught out nine times out of ten. And it keeps happening. Farrell, what do you reckon about Seri? Because I undoubtedly see an unbelievable player. I never forget that Palace game where I honestly thought that we'd signed someone that should have gone to Barcelona and bought the wrong plane ticket. And I, I cannot understand a footballer that has gone so downhill in performance... As him, and I, I, I want to go out there and and make sure that this is actually still the same human being that we had playing for us back in August. It seems, it seems unbelievable what's what, what's happened to Jean Michel. Can this all just be down to confidence? Well, I hope it is just down to confidence. Uh, I, you know, if it was, if it wasn't down to confidence, then he's a bad player, and we don't, we know that's not the case. We know the potential in him and some other players is, is pretty huge. And Jean-Michel Seri is, is kind of, well, he's a confidence player and, and maybe that's what the downfall is that we haven't seen. You know, he was one of the hottest properties in Europe uh, up until the season before last. And then last year he didn't have a particularly good one. And then he's been picked up by Fulham. And then maybe the reason why he's been picked up in Fulham and not by anyone else is the fact that he is this kind of confidence player. He is a, a player that looks amazing on his day, but that day is a rare occurrence sometimes. Mm. Um, and in fits and starts this season, and yes, you're quite right in saying that the first, you know, the Palace game and then a couple of games after that, he looked like we, you know, we signed like one of the now Premier League's best player and it's not been that case. Um, he does have this amazing ability to keep putting a, a stick in his spokes, as it were. Um <laughs> He plays himself into trouble, so he has this amazing ability to to look so comfortable and then in a moment look like he's just played himself into trouble and there's a mistake happening. Dennis Adoy is, is guilty of that. And Dennis, yeah. I, you know, I think that it is a little bit harsh to, to focus only on Seri here. And I yes. think because of his high transfer value that it is easy to target him. And he has played a lot of minutes of football in a in a team that hasn't you know, there's only one, two games this season so far. Um, and you can look at the expensive ones. Um, but, you know, just to lay blame on him is a little bit harsh. There are other players around. I think that Dennis Adoy, I was trying to sort of make comparisons earlier. And I think that he is a player that uh, has a mistake in him every game. And the only other one as a centre-back that I've seen like that consistently in a team was Philippe Senderos. Good defender as they were, great with the ball at his feet. But he had that one mistake in him every single game and it led to a goal. And in the Premier League, you just can't have that in your team. Yeah, and in rugby, they call it a hospital pass, don't they? Mm. When you put a pass really high and you're basically just stitching up your teammate because mm. he's going to get absolutely battered. And it was a little bit of that from Dennis Adoy to Jean-Michel Serri. It would have taken a very good bit of skill from Serri to get out of the situation from a player like Kante, who is probably the league's best at 
chasing down opposition and not giving you very much time. Do, do you reckon, though, had that early goal not gone against us, Nathan, that actually we were well set up with a low block, yeah. a four-four-one-one, in order to try and get something out of this game? Or do you think it was just a little bit inevitable that Chelsea would have gone ahead eventually? No, so I think it's different because we've, we've, we've all watched Fulham um, throughout the season and most games... You know, how many games have we all been to where from from minute one we're on the back foot sort of feeling nervous about things and this this game ironically didn't feel like that even though we gave up an early goal you know you thought about the first time that Cyrus Christie took a little wander up the pitch and you know just was unmarked he took a, a nice shot on goal it deflects and went out for a corner I think and it felt different like we felt a bit settled into the game and it, it felt like if we had you know not had that goal go in I don't know if we would have scored on Chelsea we still we had a few nice chances you know we can talk I'm sure we'll talk about those in a few minutes but I think that if we had settled into the game, we make it to minute 15, we make it to 20 without a goal. I, you know, I think I think something is is going to happen. Um, and we were, you know, it wasn't like Chelsea were running running us ragged. Where in the case of City or even Liverpool, where we held Liverpool, we played them pretty well. We were still a little bit on the back foot for large portions of the game. So, you know, I, I don't know if we would have broken through, but but I don't think that it was inevitable that Chelsea would score. I think we, once again, we um, we gave them an opportunity that they're going to take. They're always going to take that. And I think um, I noticed throughout the game our shape was a lot better mm. um, when we went behind. I think with under Jukanovic, quite often we were losing that early goal and straight away the game plan went out the window. Mm. Whereas this time I think we stuck with the game plan and although ultimately we haven't got anything from today, I think it it shows that um, Ranieri has a bit of faith in what you know his, his ideas and his his policies around the club. I think um, under Slav, as much as I, I loved the guy, I think it would have been a head drops um, moment. Yeah, and I don't think that was the case today. I th- think we stuck with it. Well, yeah, we even though we went one 0 down, we did actually very much stick to the principle of okay, let's try and stop Chelsea scoring here. Let's keep ourselves in the game. And actually, I was quite pleased to go into half time one nil. I thought we'd grown into the match uh, a little bit more, and I thought actually there were some positives to take. Had it gone two nil, three nil into that half time break, as it could have under Slav then you know we're just looking at a dead second half where there would have been no chance of of Fulham getting back into it Um, the only thing from the Sarri goal that actually I also wanted to mention is I think that Mawson is sold a little bit cheaply by Pedro um, it's hard it's hard for for, for Mawson because if you if let's say um, he did go for the near post Pedro and Mawson didn't try and block it we'd have been criticizing Mawson for I don't know not showing some effort but also it's just it's a little bit criminal to be beaten in your six yard box quite so easily yeah I I, I do agree to a certain extent but I mean Pedro and cutting in and scoring shock he's done that he's done he's done that for many many I saw it coming a million miles off yeah Yeah. it's a little bit naive but it's easier it's easier said than done if it had been Murata or someone we might have actually survived it but Pedro is a bit more clinical I thought he was one of the best players on the pitch yeah Yeah, I I think I mean he was everywhere I thought I thought Chelsea it's a little bit harsh on Chelsea to say that they didn't they couldn't have gone in like three or four Mm -hmm. nil up I think that they did actually play well I think they did control the game very well there were points that when we were trying this high press and other teams would have probably might have rolled over from it but they they sort of took it in their stride 
all the way moving the ball from transitions from left to right. The amount of times that we get them into the corner and we'd have like five or six players pushing them right into the corner. And then David Luiz or Rudiger would just play a one-touch pass out into the centre mid and then all of a sudden the pressure's already released. And they kept on doing that time and time and time again. Yes, there was a lot of effort there, but Chelsea controlled the game really well and were able to push us from like taking our players that stranded upfield, Mitrovic and Kearney, time and time again, all the way up the up one side of the field, and they would just play the play one pass out out to Kovacic or Kante or whoever was available and suddenly they're just bringing us out and then we couldn't get in anywhere near them. There was a lot of times today where people were going, looking like the people I was with today, they were like, well, how much possession they got? And they were like, well, it looks like it's at 65, 70%. And they're going, really? It doesn't feel that way. Well, it, it's true. They had so much time on the ball. They had so much time to like pick the pass out. I think it was really naive, naive of us to try and try and chase that ball down and we, it wasn't working for the first 20 minutes they did create it's quite it does seem like ancient history now but they did create two or three really good chances mm. early on in the game and see I'm not sure I understand agree I thought the way that we stopped Chelsea from the back worked really well the problem for me felt like is that we were clearly man marking Jorginho mm. which was a clever strategy considering Deli Ali did it so well for Spurs last week but the problem was and this is what happens against talented teams is it left someone like N'Golo Kante with the yeah. freedom of the park you know you mark yeah. one great player and unfortunately it means that another great player yeah. a two-time Premier League winner and a World Cup winner had the had the freedom of the pitch and, and no doubt had we then gone you know tight on Kante it would have left Jorginho with a lot of yeah. space and I, I'm glad you raised that as well because and I do, I do understand that sometimes the, the, the shape of the team did look a bit better today but there were a lot of times today where it didn't look very well and there were times I did think the formation was really lopsided I did think that we were really unbalanced as a team and one of those key things was the fact that Sessegnon was seemed to be playing in, in a free role kind of position something we've not seen from him before mm. and I think it really unsettled it we were all waxing lyrical uh, the other day from from Southampton game about how how good it was to see Kearney being so close to Mitrovic and Mitrovic had an outlet every single time he got the ball that didn't occur today because Sessegnon was playing he was trying he was sort of like running around trying to pick up the ball as much as he could and when the ball was finding its way to Mitrovic Sessegnon was trying was somewhere on the left or somewhere on the right and he didn't pick it up as much from it and I think that we weren't too fussed about when Sessegnon actually went off because it was it just wasn't working. And it kind of meant that when Chambers was trying to do that kind of man marking on Jorginho, he was finding him he, Chambers was finding himself on the right wing, on the left wing. He was way too far. I thought pitch. Chambers was right wing for a little bit. Well, well there you go. Yeah. And you know, you're talking about shape of the team. Is Chambers should be playing a right wing free role type position? You see, I'm I'm more main when we're defending like I think then it's a different kettle of fish when we then have the ball and we are trying to, to get up the, the park but I, I noticed quite a few times when um, Chelsea had the ball in midfield and we weren't approaching them and at first I was getting a bit frustrated thinking you know we need to put a bit of pressure on but what I noticed is that Kearney was dropping back and straight away was putting his arms out telling um, anyone on the left or the right of him to keep their zones and to keep that very strict. And what it meant, although we weren't necessarily putting pressure on Chelsea, they didn't have options other than going backwards. Yeah, And it meant that that is one reason why they had so much possession. Although um, it's frustrating watching your team chase shadows for a while, mm. and, and eventually um, it tired them out. I mean, I think that's why Ryan Sessegnon went off. I think he was absolutely knackered um, after 45 minutes of football, which we can't 
we can't sustain no. that. But I think um, in attacking, yep, we still definitely have things to sort out. We're still very wayward. We're still all over the place. And while we have talented players who have been able to score against Southampton, against Burnley, um, we're not going to be able to do that in such a haphazard mm. way against a team like Chelsea. The other thing that really, um, that I, I was speaking about during the game, that really struck out to me was the amount of gesturing and posturing in defensive situations. And it kind of, you know, more defensively solid teams don't need to like keep marshalling their defence around as much as Mawson and Le Marchand and Adoy kept on kept on doing during the game the amount of times like there were balls uh, there were like two or three Chelsea players sort of playing it around on the wings and they would do some sort of overlap and no one and both players would go to the overlap and then we'd have they would just have some sort of easy out ball because we weren't really defensively set up very well in the sense of they're just not used to it they're not it, it was it was almost like looking like those, those players were almost strangers to each other. They'd never sort of played in that sort of defensive system before, which we know is not the case. But even after this this amount of time of playing together, it did seem like that was the case. I'd be curious. You know, I think all of us are trying. We, we all love Slav and we were sad to see him go. And all of us, I think there's a bit of patience where you get a game or two after with a new manager to see, well, what's going to be different. And the guy that was sitting next to me made made a remark and, you know, it, I don't know how how much you credit you would give it to, but it's interesting to watch Ranieri's sort of his his managerial style and the fact that like Slav you wouldn't see him necessarily just orchestrating things or or talking or, or going with it, and so even to your point, Farrell, about on the back line, sort of the the conversation, the gesticulating, the those things, it it does feel that there was just a better response. So we go a goal behind, and it, it felt like Ranieri sort of he is willing the team to stay in the game to not give up. I remember the Liverpool game, we gave up a goal and that, you know, you saw the team just sort of like the, the yeah. air goes out of the balloon that didn't happen today. You know, the players are still pushing forward. They're going hard. They're still fighting for each other. I don't know what was up with Sess, whether it just wasn't a good fit, whether he missed having Scherler. I mean, we did, you know, we haven't, maybe get onto that in a bit, but you know, maybe that, that messed us up a little bit, but it was interesting to watch Ranieri and sort of that influence that he's having on the, on the defense. And I think they still need to get something settled out but it's refreshing to see a little bit more of a spirit and fight. Um, speaking of Claudio gesticulating, <laughs> uh, there's a tweet that's going around this afternoon. And oh. I mean, it's just really wound me up. And maybe that was the, and maybe that was the bloody point. Mark Worrell, whoever you are, author, publisher of 30 plus Chelsea FC related books on every single media outlet that I've never heard of saying that, Okay, the Fulham fans sung today. Claudio Ranieri, he comes from Italy, he fucking hates Chelsea, which is straight out of the Vincenzo Montella chants um, from from years ago. And for me, is a complete... Like Fulham fans humour at its best because obviously he doesn't doesn't hate hate Chelsea. He was their manager for years and has spoken numerous times of his admiration for the club. It's us being actually being a little bit dry, a little bit clever and also just an easy excuse for a good chance. Italy and Chelsea rhyme. And Mark Worrell said apparently that Claudio wasn't happy and signalled them to stop. Mark, I'd love you to send to the podcast some evidence of where you saw this happening. Some sort of TV angle that proves that Claudio Ranieri did this gesticulation when I'm pretty sure that every time we sang it, because I actually remember watching Claudio one of these times that he was, uh, this was sang, that Claudio didn't even notice. That Claudio was so engrossed in the game that it didn't even 
enter his consciousness that Fulham fans were singing this. So, Mark, I'm 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 prepared to be I'm, I'm prepared to be corrected if you can provide some evidence. If not, stop baiting on Twitter and let us all be. Okay, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> Uh, and that's Sammy's two cents right there. <laughs> uh, moving on, the second half. Um, a couple of interesting substitutions from the aforementioned Claudia Ranieri. On comes uh, Abubakar Kamara and Floyd Iite. Um I hate to admit this, my brother's a Chelsea fan. And I don't like mentioning it. <laughs> what? I know, it's, it's an awful affliction and it's something in my family that I have to deal with. But he was at the game today and he was uh, in the West Stand, so had a good view of Abubakar Kamara. And he texted me after the game saying, when did you sign the Dallas Cowboys <laughs> linebacker <laughs> on loan? Who is the unit that you've just signed? He's gone bigger. He's, he's gone bigger. bigger. He has gone bigger. I don't know whether I'm sitting closer to him or like he's now... I, he, he's... I loved watching he and Alonso are going to each other and it just shrugs Alonso never, never in a million years would I would I ever say the fact that Chelsea had to make a substitution because of Abubakar Kamara <laughs> never thought I'd say that I just love how you got to see every bit of what we love and hate about him at the same time where you know he beats Alonso has a, has a lovely pass I think it's the other time where he tries to do this ridiculous Oh yeah, his, he's got Mitra waiting in it's the middle. Like what Neymar did the other night, oh, I think against gosh. Liverpool. Or, it was just mad. Uh, the other person oh. that my brother compared Kamara to um, is John Regis, <laughs> the 200 meter runner from uh, back in the 90s as well. Just. He runs so fast and hard, you can actually hear his footsteps in the <laughs> yeah. crowd. But it was an interesting substitution from Stav. So he bought off uh, Ryan Sessignon, who he mentioned did look quite knackered towards the end of that first half. And Steph Joe, who just had a bit of a weird yeah, first half, bad. not really doing anything. And I felt like, Steph, your job, one job is to shithouse. And he didn't even do that. Yeah, we were expecting at least a yellow card. You would have had, e- <laughs> you know, you couldn't even get evens probably on Steph to get a yellow hard card in 45 minutes. And there were a couple of times where Hazard would go dribbling past him. And we were literally just waiting to see Steph pull him down or whatever. No, couldn't even get that. I thought it actually really worked, though, the, yeah. the, the second half substitution. We, we were speaking at halftime about, like, well, something kind of needs to change. We're not, we're not huge fans of, of making huge substitutions at, at, at halftime. But the one that we were advocating was having Floyd Aiti on. But we weren't, we weren't entirely sure of who. We did moot the idea of Steph Joe, but... You know, we really wanted to see Floyd Aiti on. And then suddenly we saw um, Abubakar Kamara taking off his tracksuits and we all got a little bit excited. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> um, it's a family show, Farrell. <laughs> and uh, it, I think it really did pay pay dividends. Although, although I mean, I thought Floyd Aiti was, I thought he was really good when he came yeah. on. He offered this natural width that we need. Who is it he mugged off in the corner? Uh, is it Azpilicueta? Uh, Yes. So yes, yes he did. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> just sold him down yeah. the river. It was really good, and I it think was... he did it by accident. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Um, but yeah, it did work. And the, the one thing that doesn't, the one thing that's a big difference in between Florida Ite and Abubakar Kamara is their decision making. Mm. Florida Ite, every single pass he did, everything that he did was the right decision at that particular time. Yes, there were some misplaced passes and yes, they did intercept two things, but he was trying to do the right things every time. Abubakar Kamara will do something amazing, something you would never expect him to do. And then the next thing he does is literally lump it straight out of play or try and take on a player when he should just cross it into Mitrovic. And it's really frustrating. And I think 
if he was, say for example, he was that type of player as a defender, <laughs> like maybe like a Dennis Adoy, you'd be fuming at him. But because he's a he's an attacking player, he gets away with it because sometimes it does pay off. But if if it's a Dennis Adoy making those wrong decisions, or as an Alfie Mawson or a Le Marchand, then we'd be absolutely fuming at him. The same way <laughs> that if you saw that time when he did try and do the Neymar thing and play it straight out of play, when he should have played it to Mitrovic, we'd be fuming as Mitrovic was at oh. him. I could actually, uh, the air was turning blue <laughs> because of it. <laughs> I, I do, I do want to ask, like, I, I think it's really interesting because Callum Chambers, I actually think is the same thing. I've really enjoyed watching Chambers move into this sort of defensive midfield role. But Chambers can never do two things right in a row like he'll make this amazing tackle and we're watching Fabregas warm up on the sidelines and Chambers will will, will make a great interception but then immediately then just try to play a Fabregas ball and he's not Cess unfortunately it's the same thing where Kamara and Chambers both have skill but they can't string that decision making together and it's really really frustrating to watch um Let's move on to the man of the second half for me, Lydia, who was Callum Chambers. Whether rightly or wrongly, he seemed to be involved at the very heart of everything Fulham did uh, in the second half, which I think is is, is to his credit, because at the end of the day, you know when you say about strikers that miss lots of chances and you label the... um, You label the quote at them, at least they were in the right position. I mean... Callum Chambers was doing something but every single chance we good chance we seem to make in that second half seemed to fall his way um, it seemed slightly unfortunate from that point of view but he was bloody unlucky not to get on the score sheet today particularly that header yeah I mean well the header was probably the closest he came there was, there was a couple of times he found himself um, with acres in front of him you know with a prime opportunity to hit a shot and all he could do really is hit the target is hit the target yeah there's no sort of finesse there there's no um awareness of you know where the keeper's going to be and it is just he just wasn't the person who you necessarily want at the end of that it was, it was quite think. a good save from Kepa not that, that yeah. no not the header the the shot when the shot, um yeah. it was powerful I suppose yeah it was it was heading top corner like i think it was i think Credit where credit's due. Like he did all the right things, he did make Kepper work. Like it was a, it was a really good stop. I think that you know maybe it would have been better if it fell fell to another player. But I think he did all the right. I things. I find it so, hard to hate hate Kepper when I just think that he is keeper the keeper, and I, and yeah. I, I can't get out of my head. Um, Lydia, please can you explain to us what exactly happened when uh, Callum Chambers turned into Cristiano Ronaldo <laughs> for about oh 10 seconds word. and then proceeded to clear it out of his own box. Can you maybe put I it mean, into your own words, your experience? It was nearly like he forgot momentarily that he was Calm Chamber. <laughs> and he then all of a sudden remembered that he was in fact Calm Chambers. He, you know, did this. I mean, I don't, I don't even know what he did. But Maybe he, managed he thought to be, he was in his own box and yeah. thought, like, "I'm in the box. I, I need to clear it." Don't I? <laughs> like it just. But I mean, he had about three players there. All he had to do was pass it across the, the front of the goal. But it was like, I mean, it hit the the halfway line. I was like, what on earth has just happened? (laughs) It was honestly one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen on a football pitch. It was unbelievable. Ronaldinho would have been proud of the fact he sat down about four Chelsea players in one single swoop. Ronaldo now goes to bed with a Callum Chambers shirt on. And... (laughs) 
just for that moment just though. for that moment <laughs> for me all he has to do there is shoot across the box yeah. shoot across shoot sorry shoot across the goal and <sighs> even if it doesn't go in then keeper the keeper has to make a save and it goes somewhere just anything other than the clearance sure, out of your own cra- penalty area sure the crazy thing about it is as well though sometimes when players do that and they try and drill the ball across the face of goal and they just completely miss hit it he didn't even miss hit it like he, mm. it's like he it meant to connection. do that. I think Farrell's point is right. That I think he just sort of like thought he was in his own box for a second. Yeah, he but just I will, forgot. I will say, I think it's, I don't know how you guys felt about this. I, I know we only had, because we had a friend who was uh, two shots on target off of a bet coming through. Um, but <laughs> but it was nice to see Fulham players, you know, even Sari or Cyrus Christie or whoever else, you know, taking a few cracks at goal. And even if they hit them right at Kepa, Th- good things can happen. So I'd much prefer us just, you know, Sari hit one that was flat and hard and unfortunately hits it right at Kappa. But for a couple of weeks, even against Huddersfield or whoever, you know, we, we just, we weren't getting anything on there. So that was maybe something a little bit positive. Uh, let's try and sum up the game uh, as best we can. Now, I saw that Maurizio Sari uh, said that Claudio Ranieri can have a great impact at Fulham. And I spoke to a few Chelsea fans after the game that said they have had much easier sides turn up to Stamford Bridge uh, this calendar year. This is a Chelsea side that have barely lost uh, in 2018. So Let's... Tottenham was their first loss, wasn't it? This yeah. yeah. And yeah. that's a team that also, just worth remembering, the Liverpool game, I don't know how many of you watched it, was just toe-to-toe, end-to-end you know two two teams going at each other and they gave Liverpool everything they could handle and that's basically the same side that was out there today and I feel like there was quite a lot of positives how though Nathan do you think we can we can channel the performance from today which let's 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 not be around the bush we were never expecting to get points out of today's game but how can we channel that and move forward what can we take from today's game the positives and put them into the more important games that are coming up your Leicesters your Huddersfields your Wolves your West Ham so let's 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 start as we're, we're building blocks and we we know that some of the blocks are going to be in place for the rest of the season Rico is our keeper as long as he's healthy yeah he, brilliant he, he's been brilliant and he's been so consistent since coming inside Mawson is you know getting stronger game to game which is encouraging to see you know Mitro is obviously going to be in his position it's nice to see Tom Kearney back and out and you know I think we protected him a little bit today so we're seeing some of these pieces come together those are all encouraging bits we're also seeing a side that will fight for each other that will push forward the biggest concern in the question in my head and it's not just the fact that we only have one striker on our team is where the goal is going to come from and yes if you know if Mitro doesn't score who else is going to get them? So, you know, it was actually nice. Maybe, maybe Callum Chambers is going to score a few goals for us over the course of the season. I mean, based on if he gets four good goal yeah. opportunities again. But, but I'd like to see other players like Cyrus Christie had a beautiful goal against Millwall. And I'd like to see more players on the pitch. You know, it's like Spurs with Harry Kane. It's like we need to have other people pick up the slack because as good as Mitra is and as much as we love him, if he gets hurt or if he's not able to do that, we're going to have some we're going to have some trouble. But 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 there's something to be encouraged by today, and that's just the fact that we're starting to get some of those building blocks in place. And and I think we did go toe-to-toe with a very good Chelsea team, and we didn't just roll over and, and make it easy for them. Right. Well, I think that will be the dissection uh, of Chelsea for now. Uh, let's look ahead to Wednesday's game against Leicester at the Cottage just after the break. Hi, I'm Collins John, and you are listening to the Fulham Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Fulhamish Podcast. Sammy James here with Lydia Campbell. Hello. Nathan Martin. Hello, hello. And Farrell Monk. 
Hi. So uh, we're looking ahead from the Chelsea game towards the Leicester game on Wednesday. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the pod, it does all feel like the championship again, kind of with a midweek fixture. I know that occasionally we got a cup game or whatever, but it is just quite nice to have midweek football back in our lives. I, it got quite relentless, I felt like, with the championship. Yeah. Sometimes you would be like, God, I've barely even, especially <laughs> from the point of making a podcast point of view, where we'd be like, God, we've just literally just finished dissecting one game and tomorrow night there's another one. They barely gave you a chance uh, to kind of digest the thoughts from it. But occasionally it is nice to get back under the lights. Leicester City uh, is the team that we face on Wednesday. Uh, they're eight from the league. They've got 21 points. Uh, we all know um, about their incredible run to the title a couple of years ago, which, of course, came under Claudio Ranieri. Farrell, I'll start with you. What kind of impact do you think that Claudio will have on the game on Wednesday. Leicester fans are going to undeniably want to be there and, you know, applaud Claudio and give him their love because he is a very much loved figure at Leicester for what he achieved. Do you think it will have any impact on the game? Well, I just can't wait for him to do a knee slide in front of the Leicester fans when... Uh, <laughs> Jose Mourinho uh, style. Yeah. Um, that'd be nice. But uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know whether... Um, that he would have such a huge impact. Like we we do know that he hasn't really. We saw a slightly different system today, uh, only because of you know the 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 injury to to Scherler. I don't know whether we'll see another marked change come Wednesday because it, it you know as you, as you've quite likely said that the games are coming thick and fast now um, as we get into the busy Christmas period. Is it really a, a time to start experimenting and starting moving people around so much? And I would be a big advocate of not changing too much because we know the performances are starting to get better. And, you know, we, we've we beaten so far a, a fellow re- relegation candidate. Um, so we are capable of, of winning games now. Um, and from these two performances so far I, I've seen under Claudio Ranieri I, I think we are capable of 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 doing one over on 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 Ranieri's former club and so hopefully that the Ranieri sort of factor the Ranieri effect uh, will will continue in that sort of vein but whether we're going to see wholesale changes and changes to the system I'm, I'm I don't think that's going to happen I mean, as far as I can work out, Nathan, Mm -hmm. only four players that played against Watford were a key part of Ranieri's title-winning side, which for me is Schmeichel, uh, Wes Morgan, uh, Mark Albrighton Mm -hmm. and Jamie Vardy. So this team has changed quite a lot since that, you know, incredible season there. However, a part of me thinks we might be slightly you know, writing off Leicester as, a, as an easier, winnable game. Oh, they're, gosh, no. they're in eighth position. They've I got think... 21 points and they're a very wily side in this division that, for me, seem to overcome the smaller teams quite yeah. well. Actually, sometimes I think it's against the bigger teams that they maybe don't get the results. Yeah, I actually think Leicester are a very frightening side because they know who they are. Everybody in that pitch and in that squad knows exactly the role that they're supposed to play. They, yeah, they, they're not, you know, they're not going to challenge the top of the league, but they're consistently very good every week. Schmeichel is a fantastic keeper. Madison looks like probably one of the signings of the year. I mean, for the amount of money that Lester paid for him, he has just been exquisite for them. And the goal that he scored yesterday was beautiful. 
and Vardy, you know, is, is always going to be problematic and he's going to give our back line some real trouble. And, you know, you've got the other, the Ndidi who runs around and will run us ragged. So I, I think they're a well-disciplined, Chilwell's great out of the back. They're mm, a disciplined like side. He's, yeah, he's a fantastic player. And they've done it. Leicester's just a really good model of, particularly as Southampton seem to be struggling a bit. Leicester's maybe the new model of how you should be running a, a mid a mid-table franchise or a you know club, and we were just talking about it. I love to see the owner, you know, the horrific thing, the, the helicopter accident, but just that relationship with the owner and the fans, and it's it's just a really lovely thing to see. And they've also done a great job of when they have sold some of their fan favorites and the players, they've reinvested in a very intelligent way. They've never sold out the fans, sold out the team, and so I I think you know I I don't expect I don't think it's gonna be an easy game at all. I think we could beat them on the right night. I don't think Ranieri will really have an impact. I think it actually could be quite friendly. You know, there, he's a lot of respect between these people. But um, yeah, I, I think Leicester are gonna be very difficult. Um, Lydia, are you hoping that Steffi Hansen makes the pitch just so that him and James Madison can uh, go at it again <laughs> yeah. after Norwich away last season? Yeah, well, I mean, you might as well, you know, pick off where you where you finished last time. Because really. Steffi Hansen yeah. had the better of him that day. <laughs> um, definitely, but I, I think the problem this time is that um, Madison was you know, the star of that team. And while he's very, very, very good for Leicester, I wouldn't say there's any stars in that team. I would say they are all sort of on an equal footing. So the problem is then if Steffio um, sort of targets Madison, um, similar to today, there's just going to be another um, quality player of, you know, coming behind him um, I think maybe for the banter side of it it might, it might, it might be quite entertaining but um, I think unfortunately we're maybe going to have to think about this a bit more <laughs> than that Do you think this is an opportunity to Fulham, for Fulham to try and get a first clean sheet of the season part of me just looks at that forward line though when you've got Damari Gray Jamie Vardy James Madison that it's it's not an op- it's not that easy opportunity how do Fulham trying to um, counteract the threats of Jamie Vardy. Do you think it's a lot of sitting deep? It would seem a bit, a bit mad to try and play a high line against uh, against someone like Vardy. Well, he he gobbles up chances with when uh, when teams play with a high line against them. You know, they 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 won the title. We were based... quite deep today, so yeah, yeah. Well, only because we kept on getting dragged back by them. Like we were trying to play a high line, but as soon as Chelsea got the the, the ball out to any sort of like attacking position they, we were just dragged back and we had to play you know quite low uh, and you know there was a lot of times we were just running back towards our own goal and we don't really want to do that against Jamie Vardy is the, the guy that that, that that does that and I think that it would be naive to start thinking well you know this is an easy winnable game and you know this could be a chance to 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 get a clean sheet considering you know what's What's where? What's rarer than me going out on a Saturday night? It's a Fulham, Fulham clean sheet, pretty much. Um, <laughs> and you know they've got players to hurt us, but you know as as we spoke about before, there is good potential in this team. We know the performance is getting better. We know we can. You know we've gone from the Huddersfield game where we could have been playing for five or six hours, we couldn't even carve a chance out, let alone a goal. To actually today, we could have scored two or three against. A team that's only well one one get uh, only lost one game only this lost one game this season so far, and 
the game against Liverpool, we we had two or three very good chances as well. Against Southampton, we scored three really good goals. Maybe could have got a fourth. There's a chance that we could just outscore Leicester City, and that's pretty much how Fulham have been operating the last two years. Right. Well, uh, Farrell, you get some questions ready from the old question bag. Uh, we're going to head to those in a second. Uh, just to say that the questions on Fulhamish this season uh, are being sponsored by Putney Pies, the finest pies uh, in the entire land. And you can get 10% off your food uh, through Fulhamish podcast by quoting the code who ate all the pies uh, as you go to get I your wish, bill. I wish I'd had a Putney pie at halftime. I had something at Chelsea that was a pie, but it was nothing as good as what we were. It will be nothing like Putney pies. So uh, make sure you get down there, especially before the Leicester game. Obviously, it's an evening kickoff. So if you get to Putney a little bit, bit earlier head down there uh, they're going to be open pre-match um, they also have a, an excellent selection of drinks as well down in the vault which is their kind of nightclub uh, bar area which is underneath Putney Pies uh, a few of us are going to be hanging out there before the game as well on Wednesday so yeah head down to Putney Pies get a booking in now uh, and just quote the code who ate all the pies for 10% off and of course they sponsor a slice of your questions every oh. week hey. uh, you know, you know before <laughs> Before we get into the questions really quick, I just looked at something interesting, Sammy, with Leicester. It's just there's results. You know, they've already had four red cards in the season already, which seems like quite a lot. Yeah, it does. does that, that seems like a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. They had red That's cards against Brighton. I know Wes Morgan Wolves. got one, didn't they? Madison got a red card as well. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting. They've had a, they've had quite a few red cards. If you look back over the season, I don't know if that means anything for Wednesday night, but it's just a random thing that I, I take noticed. it back. We need Steph, you on. <laughs> yeah, to kick yeah. people, to wind people up. <laughs> Steph, Joe, rest up. You need it on Wednesday. <laughs> it's twice, isn't it? Tw- twice last season, he wound up the opponent so much that they react and yeah. got a red card. Well, no, one of them was Kamara, actually, I think. <laughs> Kamara was also very good. Yeah. Get him yeah. in. Yeah. 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 Shithousery at its finest. <laughs> yeah. Right, Farrah, what's coming in the On questions? On to the questions. So thank you again to, for people sending the questions. Here's a short one from John McCormick. Should Christie be moved to right wing? Um, I was speaking to someone earlier about uh, how, well, in the, in the first half, about how we don't have a recognised winger on the, on the field at the, at the moment. So could Christie be that person to, to be... To, to go on the wing at, at points you know we've got other right backs in waiting in the wings with TFM and perhaps Steven Sessegnon I think I think it's, it's a really interesting one because wingers or wing backs you know that position is very similar um, and I suppose then you could make an argument for that you could say that because we do have the likes of um, Fosu Mensa who has in parts this season been really really positive he's also sometimes been absolutely awful (laughs) but if Ranieri can get that consistency with him then why not I mean I still think our strongest front three is Sessegnon, Mitrovic and Shirley but obviously if Shirley's injured and also sometimes he seems to forget that he has a defensive role as well then maybe actually putting that sort of defensive minded winger in there might be the answer to that I'm not sure but could be I I actually think Christie is growing in confidence and looking better as we move along and he gives us something really strong going forward where he, he is he's usually able to beat someone with a step over he, he sometimes makes me a bit nervous I don't know how you guys feel about this but I'm really nervous yeah where, yeah where where he looks like but but he actually has a better sense of the ball than you would expect and the number of times that he'll turn away and the, leave the striker or whoever sort of in his wake um is impressive 
So I, I'm a fan of Cyrus and giving him kind of a chance to continue to grow. I'm not really fussed about whether, you know, which position it is. I just want to kind of see him in the lineup and kind of have a bit of consistency. I'm still not convinced we've seen everything from Timothy Fossey-Mensah. I thought he was so great at the beginning of the season. And whilst I don't necessarily think that Cyrus should be instantly dropped from the team I I still think that that place is up for grabs I don't think Cyrus has done that much to suggest that it is his birth for the entire season did quite enjoy at times today where a one-two partnership of uh, Christian Chambers uh, was trying to take on Marcus Alonso and Eden Hazard um, as a threat up the right wing I thought that that was um reasonably amusing to to say the least at least he's not being played at centre midfield like he is under Martin O'Neill at Ireland oh, awful. What, what, what about what, what about um you know he was warming up on the sidelines again today but you know I thought Joe Bryan was very strong at the start of the year and we've not seen him for a while due to injury do, do we think we need to see him back in the lineup I'd like to see him back when he is available just i I don't want to rush him and clearly that was what happened especially in the Everton game it felt like we brought back Joe Bryan too soon hamstring injuries um, I've not suffered one myself but from uh, hearing other people it is just one of those injuries where you do just need to be 100% uh, before you rush that kind of thing back otherwise you're just going to create more problems than you had in the first place so I would trust the medical team on that one that Joe Bryan has been kept out for the right reasons. But but at the same time, though, why would you have someone on the bench yeah, if they're think, not yeah. fit mm. and able to play? And I know that, you know, maybe the intention the past couple of weeks has been potentially to bring him on maybe the last 15 minutes, that kind of thing. But, I mean, injuries happen. What would have happened if Lamar Shan had, had a, gotten injured in the first two minutes? I think he must would be have, fit, You yeah. know, it's it's that. that I, I understand the argument, but I, I, I get frustrated when people bat that one about so much. They say, oh, you know, he's only fit enough for the bench. And it's like, well, no. <laughs> being fit enough for the bench means you have to be fit enough to start. Yeah. Um, being dropped to the bench is more a personnel thing to me rather than a, than a, a fit enough. Um, but I, I do know what you mean. You can't rush it back. I, I tore my hamstring when I was 18 and it was horrible. It was a horrible injury and, you know, the pain. Um, and you do have to nurse it back. But, I mean, there's no way I would have been playing any, you know, hockey matches from <laughs> the bench. Um, I wasn't back until I was back and ready. Yeah, um, It's a weird one, really. There's quite an interesting one, especially with players coming back that from, from longer injuries and kind of like niggly ones. Like Kenny, we now know he was playing through the pain a lot, pretty much the second half of last season. And it turns out that Slavisa basically begging him to play, even though that he was in a lot of pain. Um, you know, maybe we're seeing a different tact from the new manager and maybe from the from the from the staff saying, look, if you are injured, just don't play, don't don't take that risk. We've got other players that can play in those positions. Whereas last season, the only player that could play that number 10 role was Tom Kearney. Mm. There were other players that could have done it, but obviously Slavita did not have that faith in anyone else. Like we spoke about it a lot, about Kenny is so important to the team last season that you know, we kind of thought that Piazon could do that job. Um, we saw Aite kind of fill in that kind of position, but obviously Savisa never thought that anyone could could do it as well as Tom Kearney, which is could be quite right. That's up for maybe another debate. But maybe Ranieri thinks like, look, there's no there's no reason to rush any of these players back. We've got players. If we're talking about Joe Bryan here, we've got Lamarchon, who is not an amazing left back, but he certainly does a very good job. He doesn't really offer anything attacking. I think I only saw him in the opposing half maybe once or twice today 
Um, but defensively, he's absolutely sound. And, you know, I don't see him getting dropped for the wrong reasons just because of, you know, trying to rush back Joe Bryan, basically. 100%, Mr. Farrell. What's coming in next? So that actually answers one other question. There was quite a few questions about oh, Joe Bryan as well. Who answered that question? Uh, well, we are just talking about Joe Bryan, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, sorry. I thought you were saying there was a Joe Bryan question and that one was answered through our answer. Pretty much. That is pretty much it. Oh, okay. Um, there we go. So there's been quite a few. There's quite an interesting one here from Matt Arter, who I mentioned in the three, three-word reviews earlier. Do you reckon Ranieri is excluding... Timothy Fosu Mensa and Vieto because they're loans because we haven't really heard about whether they're injured or anything like that they they were you know it's a bit of an interesting one do you think that it's because of the loans I can't believe that yeah I, I think with those two players it's all about work rate that's that's but that's the only thing that I can see differentiates them from um, the likes of um, Cyrus Christie or even Ryan Sessegnon um, I think they're both good players, but I think the work rate is the issue. Um, Fosu Mensa on his day can be immense and can you know get go from line to line, but too often he just doesn't. And similar with um, Vieto, quite often you know he just doesn't run back. And I think that Ranieri is, you know, he's aware that he has to build a defensive unit, and the only way we can do that is if we have players who are going to fully commit to both sides of the game, the defensive side and the attacking side. Um, the attacking side might be the fun bit, but the defending is, um, well, it's how we're going to stay up. And also, I mean, Chambers and Scherler are both loanies, and I yeah. don't think, you know, Ranieri has any problem playing them. I think I think with Vieto, I think it might be a stylistic thing. I don't, I'm mm-hmm. not sure if he's convinced by him. And Fasu Mensa, I would just be curious that like the same thing with um, Joe Bryan is that we don't want to rush Fasu Mensa back. He's had a few knocks and things and we've brought him back maybe at least once where he didn't look completely 100%. So I think it's probably more to do with fitness than anything else. And he's gone for Sergio Rico, who is on loan above our two permanent goalkeepers. Which I'm very happy with. Sergio Rico is... 100% happy, really, but I think it debunks really. the theory that it's anything yeah, exactly. to do with loans. And I just... At the end of the day, Ranieri is there to do one job and one job only, and that is to keep us up. Whether they're on loan, whether they're from Mars, or whether they're permanent (laughs) transfers. Just remember that when Gary Cahill comes in in January. There's been quite a a lot of talk recently about uh, Nathaniel Klein coming in on loan. Can we sign another loan player? I don't know. It's amazing to think, like, at the end of last season, half our team left because they were loans. And then we kind of lamented it, and then we're trying to fill, like, the transfer window, trying to fill all these gaps that were left, and all of a sudden we're in the same position again. Like, what if Fulham stay up? And then all of the loans... Exactly, half the team goes again. It's amazing to think, like, so many of our loans... Sherler, Chambers, Rico... Sherler's two years, though, isn't he? Like, isn't it? He's a two-year year loan. Yeah, so you're, yeah, exactly. you're a little bit protected. You, you know, it's quite, I agree, yeah. so, it's quite a lot of them, isn't it? Um, we've spoken a little bit about Seri earlier, and there's been quite a few questions coming in about uh, Seri, uh, Oscar, uh, at... Oscar, I'm not even going to pronounce that, um, is how how long until we start punishing Seri for those poor performances? Mr. Grumpy Gramps has put in, why persist with Seri? He gives away possession too many critical times. We have spoken a lot about Seri earlier, and I just want to put it out. What if he didn't play amazing today? It has been a little bit better than, than usual. Just want to put it to the panel just, in terms of... 
He was better in the second half yeah, today. That's the know, only thing I will give uh, Seri uh, today. Also, yeah. Steph Joe is just not up to scratch. Like, I think you would have a real dilemma on your hands if you could put Kearney and Steph Joe together and they were passable. But every time, and I love Steph Joe, but every time that he's been on the pitch, he just doesn't look up to, to scratch in the Premier League. And so for Seri, you know, you got to think about not just the floor, like his mistake, but you have to think about the ceiling, about the upside. And so if Seri can get comfortable, you know, he is top quality. And so that's why I think there's a bit of patience. If if it gets to Wednesday and the performance isn't very good. Yeah. And give and say that maybe McDonald might be fit by then. Um, maybe Anguisa might be fit by then. Would you persist with him? Maybe. But the problem for me is, is that Chambers is clearly a limited player in the sense that he seems to have found his little niche in that yeah. central defensive midfield. He's, bra- he's great at breaking up the play um he's great at jinking past four defenders in the box and then clearing it out for a throw in but he doesn't he isn't great at the passing side of his game we saw that against Southampton he had about a 50 percent 60 percent pass completion rate um and it wasn't too dissimilar at times today he would win the ball in the center midfield or he would get the ball and then would just utterly panic and almost toe punt it basically forward. Sometimes it would reach his destination. Sometimes it would hit the corner flag. So I feel like the, the thinking is, is that Chambers breaks up the play and the Seri is always within about five, 10 meters of him. And then Seri is the one with some quality who can then move the ball up the pitch. He can find the flanks or he can find Kearney or he can try and find Mitro with a ball of some more quality. The problem is that I think that that strategy places Seri under so much undue pressure because Chambers gives Seri the ball or Adoy gives Seri the ball and he has so little time in which to do an immensely difficult job to effectively play like Jorginho-esque passes out the back trying to spread the play in left, right and centre against very difficult opponents. And... Can and could Angisa do that job? Not from what I've seen. Can Kevin McDonald do that job? Almost definitely not um, from what I've seen. So if if Claudio is going to continue to play Chambers at kind of a CDM and he kind of wants to play that double pivot with someone there, I think it has to be Seri or it has to be Kearney and someone else tries and does the job that Tom Kearney's doing doing of late playing in that number 10 run now that has more options because i think you could play there are, i think there are numerous players that could play that Kearney role not as well as Kearney's been doing lately but you could put lay play Vieto in that position you could play Aite in that position as he did for a little bit today and you could also arguably play someone like Ryan Sessegnon maybe in that position well, as well Schurler. Schurler as well yeah yeah, so I think that's more of a likely option is Kearney coming back. But I think we've really started to see Kearney flourish in that 10 roles. We kind he, of was, always, he was very impressive. As today. we always knew yeah. he could be. So yes. I wouldn't exactly relish seeing Kearney go back to the, that kind of quarterback role where I don't think it suits him in this league. I think in the championship, he was kind of okay playing there. But I think he's better playing more That's two games position. in a row as well with Kearney where he's starting to really find his feet and kind of say he was fantastic against Southampton the number of times he took the ball turned and it was fantastic like obviously do that against Southampton but to do it against Chelsea so I think you know we saved him we, we took him off in the last couple of minutes protected him a bit for Leicester I don't actually remember Kenny losing the ball no I think that that he was I really don't think good. He, he did no. <laughs> he was marvelous he did he did cause Chelsea a lot of problems I don't think they realize how good a player he was like they obviously I don't know what they know about um Kenny or Seri or whatever but I think he actually showed like I am playing much better than 
than the, the the team that I I'm playing for currently, unfortunately. But fortunately for us, that uh, and it's good to see that he's back in full pomp after some tricky injury issues and even with the formers, but it was. I saw also for the first time today for quite a while, him actually sort of like going around and jeering up he's, some of the players. I was going to say that he's he's the captain again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he did that at the end of this. I, I thought it was interesting towards the end of the Southampton game last week where, um, you know, we we're sort of defending and desperately, and he went flying into a tackle down in the Hammersmith end and just threw himself in there and came up fired up. And, you know, it's, it's the little things, but it's just nice to see. It's nice yeah. to see him back and feeling passion. good, a bit of passion. Um, right, well, I feel like that is all for today. Unless, Farrell, there was a burning question through on the post bag. Or, uh, or that, do you do you have any more like photos from your childhood so that we can see what did Sammy James look like <laughs> at different periods in life outside of just your passport photo? You probably do. I feel like there's plenty of ammunition around this room which you could use me for, uh, particularly my advent calendar, which is up there <laughs> on the mantelpiece, which I, I really thought like of, which might have been targeted. But no, other than that, I think that I am all safe. I'm. I, I have thought though twice about maybe doing a podcast in my living room again maybe the safety of a studio is uh well i just would like to add that you have a fantastic lamp over there that's like shaped like the eiffel tower can i just say that so sammy if you want to decorate anyone's houses it's amazing look at it oh i can't see it it's behind it, the it's, if anyone wants to hire my girlfriend for uh, <laughs> so it's not you for for interior design fiance then, fiance uh, then they uh, are they, well, I then love they, it. It's a great lamp. Then they are more than welcome that. to hire her <laughs> services uh, for a particular price. Uh, right, well, that is all for Fulhamish podcast today. Uh, before we move on to discussing the decoration of my living room anymore, uh, we will be back after the Leicester game and between the Man United game as well, uh, looking back at what is a very important game mm. on Wednesday. I, I think it can't be overestimated just how crucial it is that Fulham try and pick up something in between these two very tough games uh, in between an away trip to Stamford Bridge and another away trip to Old Trafford. Although these days, uh, an away trip to Old Trafford doesn't quite seem <laughs> as daunting as it once did, but it's still going to be a very, very tricky task. The the hopefully it'll be called the Theatre of Reams after next Way. weekend. Should we play <laughs> Tim Ream just so that it's called the Theatre of Reams? Yeah, why not? Why not? <laughs> You just know that if Tim Ream does anything in that game, that will be next Monday's yeah. podcast. Oh, that'll be, yeah, that will be the three Without a doubt. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so, well, thank you very much for listening today. Not the result we wanted against Chelsea, but one day, one day we will win at Stamford Bridge and it will be truly glorious. Um, it was a good atmosphere, by the way. I should hasten to add from the Fulham fans today. Yeah, fans, yeah I was, Chelsea gonna, I was fans. like, what? <laughs> I was yeah. like, did you listen to no, 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 the Chelsea no. fans? Fulham fans, I thought today were in fantastic voice. There's been a couple yeah. of testing away days recently. Liverpool, Huddersfield, Cardiff. So it was nice today uh, for Fulham fans to be in unison, really. And even at the end of the game, I think it showed is that, you know, the fans cheered everyone off the pitch. I think it felt... Also, I think it might be the first time that all 11 players came over to applaud the fans afterwards as well. I yeah, don't know whether it, even some of the subs came over as well. So it's good to see that. I know it's it's kind of small things. We, we look for the small things yeah. in life. We're like, all oh, 11 came over and applauded them. The yeah, players. exactly. got to take something. I was taking a register. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Just before we finish the podcast today, we do need to name it. Uh, Farrell, uh, anything that came in on the three-word reviews maybe that you liked the sound of for a podcast name today? There was one that I saw from James Peters come in uh, and I thought it was quite nice. It was Shed of Light. 
Shed of light. Yeah. Okay, I see what he did there. Yeah. For people who don't know that the away the away uh, stand is called the shed end, and where the the light is at the end of the tunnel, which is <laughs> us winning the Premier League next year. Well, this Easy. year five thousand to one, you Easy. can still get you can still get odds on it. I wouldn't be surprised knowing Nathan's betting record whether he's actually put some money on Fulham to win the league this year. No, I just just to stay in the top half of the league, and that is also not looking very good these days. How much did you get on Fulham's finish in the top half of the league? Uh, I got like twelve to one odds. Twelve but, to one. When yeah, was this? At the beginning of the year. I don't think you're going to win that bet, unfortunately. No, <laughs> but considering my maximum bet is no more than two pounds, then it probably will be okay. Okay. Well. <laughs> Yeah, it is quite funny seeing Nathan's betting and normally it is just 5p bets on various things uh, th- throughout the Football League. It is a bit strange. Right, anyway, I digress. Uh, <laughs> Sammy's getting distracted. Yeah, I really, really am. Sam- Sammy's fiance has just come just come back in. And, uh, like, like, a na- like a naughty child trying to sneak downstairs in the middle of the night trying to get like a snack or something. Being ever so quiet opening and closing the front door. And did a remarkably great job until you gave her away, Frau. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing gets past me. Uh, Well, thank you for listening to the Fulhamish podcast today. We will be back after the Leicester game. I hope you have a good start of your week and we'll see you very soon. Take care. ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. Hey, it's Maria Hinojosa here. And Julio Ricardo Varela. We are the co-hosts of the Roundtable podcast, In the Thick, where we talk about politics, race, and culture from a people of color perspective. That's right. Every Tuesday and Friday, we bring you the latest political news, covering the stories and issues that matter to communities of color with amazing POC journalists, activists, and academics from all over the country. So you're not going to want to miss our coverage because we have a lot of fun. We do. Which means that on election night, November 3rd, we are going to be hosting a live virtual show to give you the much-needed POC perspective on this crucial night in our country. Follow us on social media at In The Thick Show to make sure you don't miss the updates and this live analysis. Subscribe to In The Thick wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST, A-cast. 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 recommends. <laughs>